Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. By MosiPro Online Backup. MosiPro protects your business's data with simple, secure, and affordable backup solutions. Find out more at mosey.com slash words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Ever since Milton Glaser put a big red heart in the famous I Love New York motto instead of the word love, lots of people have made the joke that it's really I Heart New York. You can do it with all kinds of knockoffs, too, like I heart my Labradoodle bumper stickers. You've seen those, Martha? Yeah, right? yeah. And yeah. You know, people say that, right? I, I heart my Doberman. I, right. I heart my honor student. Right. Or I spade my Doberman. If you're, <laughs> you're going to yeah, do the different. I've uh... seen that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and you can even be in heart with someone as a result, which is one of those things that's on one hand kind of horrific. Is there a knife involved to be in heart <laughs> with somebody? I don't know. And it's kind of charming as well. Well, in certain kinds of casual typing, a heart is made by a less than sign and the number three. If you look at it sideways, it looks like a heart, right? Ah, right. Yeah. So naturally, of course, now you can and people do bring that love to the silly side by saying things like, I less than three you my schmoopsy poo. <laughs> and, I or, less than three. Yeah, yeah. Or they say, will you ever bracket three me again, darling? <laughs> So, because some people pronounce those as a brackets instead of a less than sign. And so it's interesting that a human craziness knows no bounds. And nor oh, does love. Oh, my gosh. Well, we knew that. <laughs> so that's your new word of the week. I love that. I mean, I mean, I less than three that. That's, <laughs> that's great. Well, I was going to bring up an old word, which um, actually there's several old words in Latin that um, meant to kiss. The Romans had several different words. One of my favorites, though, is oscula which is a kind of friendly kiss. And from that, we get the English word that we almost never hear, but maybe we should try to popularize, osculate, which means to kiss. Very nice. And that reminds me of the, uh, another word, exosculate, which is to kiss heartily. Oh, it's not to kiss your ex? <laughs> no, no, no. And I learned that word from the forgotten English word of the day calendar. I flipped forward to my birthday to see what the word of the day was. And wouldn't you know it, on my birthday, it's exosculate. You're kiss heartily. kidding. So, so pucker up on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like snog better, though. <laughs> well, if you have a favorite word that you'd like to talk about or a question about language, give us a call. 1-877-929-9673. We'd love to hear from you. And the email address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mary, and I live in Allen, Texas. All right. Hello, Mary. Welcome Hi. to the program. I am originally from Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, my father is from, well, my father's passed away, but he was from past Christian, Mississippi, and my mother was from Chester, Texas, which is in East Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I grew up with the expression, waste not, want not. Uh-huh. And I'm married to a lovely person who grew up in New York uh-huh. who laughs every time I say that. Laughs? Yes. Why? He, he thinks it's he thinks it's ridiculous and it doesn't make any sense. And so consequently, 
I have two fabulous children who also laugh when I say it. <laughs> Poor mama. So, you know, and I don't know whether I say this because people in Houston or Texas say it or if it came from Mississippi with my father, but clearly the sophisticated people of New York don't say it, according to my husband. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, now, what kind of context would you say this in, Mary? Well, you know, the kids can be you know, throwing out something. Oh, I don't want these shoes anymore. They still fit, but I don't want them. And my comeback would be, you know, waste not, want not. Mm-hmm. And they don't get what I mean. They think that I want them to hang on to this particular thing forever because at some point in the future they're going to want it. Mm-hmm. But that's not what I mean But when I say that. Mm-hmm. It's more of mean? like a philosophy on life. You know, if mm-hmm. you don't make a habit of throwing things away and wasting things, you won't get to a point in the future where you needed things and you don't have them because you made a habit of wasting. Right. Uh, right. But it's they don't get that. They the, think uh, it's funny. So when I say good. it, I get <laughs> Snickers. Yeah, it's oh. about the habit. That's the important part of it, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, they don't get it. This is such an old, basic idea on how to be a good person, about not wasting things. And, and I think the waste not, want not is such a perfect crystallization of that concept. I think it's exactly the thing to say when yeah. somebody's being wasteful. It's exactly the right thing yeah. to say. It is, I'm this so proverb, glad to hear you say that. This <laughs> proverb is so ingrained into the... It's, it's in, it appears in French and Dutch and Russian and Swedish and Spanish and that there's like a, some variation of this idea in absolutely every language that I can check. And, really? and it's because we live now in a time of bounty and in a time of abundance. And it is this is a rare moment in history where people could eat well and live well all together, where most of us are doing okay, you know? And even the poorest of us are doing far better than people 200 years ago. So this idea of not wasting is, is still a message that needs to be transmitted. What I think is happening here is they know exactly what you mean, and they're just pulling your chain. You think so? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Because you, because you sounded, you sound really excited about it. You sound a little worked up, and I think they want to see what Mama's going to do when they pull her chain a little bit. What do you? You think? might be right. Well, sometimes my <laughs> husband will even say something like, "Well, they say that in Chester, Texas." <laughs> but I think this yeah. expression—it's you know—it's it's sort of mathematical in its elegance and simplicity. There's something mm-hmm. really beautiful about it. And to me, Mary, I think it also has kind of a biblical incantation, don't you think? I mean, uh, I think yeah. about about passages in Scripture like "Fear not" or "Judge not." You uh, know, "Waste yeah. not, want not." I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's so efficient. I should say that the history of this particular construction goes back 300 years or so maybe even more. And there are a variety of versions going back to the 1500s in English. And of course, this has been settled in a lot of different ways in English because, as as I mentioned before, that just not wasting things is so, it's, it's such an important part of continuing to be a surviving civilization, you know? Well, civilization is days, yeah. Civilization is built upon um, conservation and the reservation of your resources and not the, the waste, wasting of them. So, Well, Mary, you sound like you feel better. I do feel, I feel vindicated. Yes. <laughs> it makes perfect, perfect sense. We've loaded you up with ammunition, Mary. Go off to battle. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And thanks for the opportunity to be on the show. Okay. Well, thank All you right. for calling, Mary. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. 
the family counselors. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send your language dilemmas to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, um, my name is Sarah, and I'm calling from San Diego. Oh, hi, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> hi. Um, I was just wondering how you guys felt um, when people talk in text. Um, it's coming more popular, like with my coworkers and my sister. She does it a lot, and it kind of gets under my skin when she does it because she can just say the words. But um, I just wondering how you guys felt about that. Uh-huh. Talking in text, you're saying taking the acronyms that you use, say on the, on the telephone or in, in mm-hmm. instant messaging, and and speaking them aloud as if they were words on their own, right? Yeah, like um, my coworker that I work next to a lot. She got up and walked away, and as she left, she said "brb." Well, when I worked in the restaurant business, a BRB was a big roast beef, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I think of when people say that. <laughs> yeah. Mm, roast beef. Mm. How old is your sister? Um, my sister is um, about 28, I think. 28? Yeah. And your coworkers, are they fall in that range too? They're in their 20s, yeah. In their mm-hmm. 20s. And do they do this with a, like a laugh or a grin? Is it kind of whimsical or sarcastic or ironic or anything like that? Um, no, not really. Um, she just kind of said it and dashed off, huh. and so came back okay. and just continued. We continued our conversation. Huh? And what kind um, of work do you do? I'm sorry. What kind of work do you do, sir? Um, I work at In and Out Burger. It's a restaurant in San Diego. Ah, okay. In and Out Burger, love the okay. fries. You guys do great work. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> It's kind of ordinary to be pronouncing text slang or text acronyms aloud. I've, a LOL, L-O-L is the big one that I, I know a lot of mm-hmm. people use. And, and they usually do it sarcastically, which is why I asked you. They'll go, LOL, or they'll talk about um, something's really funny. They'll be like, yeah, I said this thing online and I got big LOLs or big LOLs, uh, meaning they got lots of laughs. And um, or so, laughing uh, out loud. They have everybody laughing out loud, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, no, it's it it's for? the thing is like it doesn't actually it it kind of stands for that, but it's it's moved on. When it's pluralized, it it means oh, laughs lulls. or sure, laughter. Sure. Yeah. Um, lots of lols. Oh okay. yeah, lots of lols. Um, and if you say lol out loud, you're usually being sarcastic about it, or usually being like a little kind of knowingly ironic. Uh, like maybe that's redundant. I don't. Yeah. Know. When they say lol or lol or jk, mm-hmm. they they kind of do say it with a little bit of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the eyebrows go up kidding. and the face has a smirk and that sort of thing, right? Yeah, JK, yeah. just yeah. kidding. But here's the thing. I'm not surprised to find it in people in their 20s. Um, if you're using it in your 30s, I would be really surprised. And I actually think it's the kind of slang that's going to pass away as the novelty wears off. And you usually find that with this sort of thing. Um, okay. And you know what? Here's the thing. As long as they're not doing it in business meetings, where's the harm, Right. No, yeah, no. But, Sarah, you find it a little irritating just because it's so kind of self-conscious and knowy and winky? Yeah, well, I'll I'll tell my sister, well, we're not on the phone, we're talking. Yeah. So why do you say that? (laughs) Right, as if if the saying the fully elaborated form is so difficult that they have to abbreviate it. Yeah. You can't just say, be right back? Yeah. BRB, it's the same, it's the same, the same number of syllables. Yeah. Well, what about TMI for too much information? I like that. I I use that TMI. Yeah, yeah. you know what? Yeah, that one's older. It, there's there there are plenty of acronyms that we do say aloud and don't think twice about it. Okay, being the obvious mm-hmm. most uh, you know common candidate. Or he was AWOL. Yeah, AWOL. ASAP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. ASAP definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. FYI. 
We do all of these things. Uh, some of the, most of these, though, I, I believe, will fall away and become um, some relic of the two thousands and the nineties. And I think that we'll find that by say twenty forty, that they'll exist only in historical texts. So it'll sort of, it'll sort of be like the bee's knees today, or the cat's yeah, pajamas. Yeah. The You'll, cat's pajamas of tomorrow. When they make movies set in in two thousand seven, you know, in, in, <laughs> yeah. they'll they'll use that language because they'll think everyone spoke that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys very much. It was a good question. Thanks for calling, Sarah. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 BT Dubs, you can give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. And if we make you lol, send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. So, Grant, I'm reading this book from 1898 called The Kiss and Its History. Oh, nice. Right up your alley, right? Mm. And it talks in there about all these different um, words for different kinds of kisses in different languages. And mm-hmm. I love this line from the book. He says, would it be possible to think of a more excellent word than this, nachküssen, which is to kiss in a kind of supplementary way or to complete a series of kisses. I love that. <laughs> you know, that last kiss, you know, your kiss, kiss, yeah, kiss, kiss, yeah, kiss, yeah. and then mwah, one yeah, more the pu- just for emphasis. It's the punctuation on the sentence, right? <laughs> We told you grammar was sexy. <laughs> That's a German word, I take it. Of course, nachküssen. Oh, Very nice. <laughs> Love it. Well, if you'd like to share something with us about language, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org and seal it with a nachküssen. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett, and we are joined now by our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. How are you guys? Hi, John. What's up, buddy? I have a little puzzle here for you guys I think you're going to like. We had a lot of fun with limericks a while ago, so I thought I'd look at them some more. You know, I have uh, many, 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 many books of limericks, and two of them are clean. So (laughs) I've gathered some classic and not-so-classic limericks, and I'm going to see if you can guess the last word of limericks from their context. Okay? Okay. Okay. Great. Now, one classic feature of uh, many limericks is that the first line ends in a place name. Now, uh, this one is uh, from Lewis Carroll. There was a young man of Oporta who daily got shorter and shorter. The reason, he said, was the hod on his head, which was filled with the heaviest... Mortar. Mortar. Very oh, good. Oh, wow. Nice, nice simple one. I've never been to Oporta. I've never said hod on the radio. <laughs> I've never heard hod on the radio. <laughs> we're just we're breaking ground here. Here's the next one. <laughs> this one's by Haywood Brune, a, a Brooklyn-born journalist, quite famous. He wrote the following. There was a young man with a hernia who said to his doctor, Galdernia, when improving my middle, be sure you don't fiddle with matters that do not... Concernia. <laughs> Concernia. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah, he was one of the New Yorker crowd, wasn't he? Yes, he was. That's right. Now, here's an off-quoted limerick from Ogden Nash. There was a young girl of old Natchez whose garments were always in patches. When comment arose on the state of her clothes, she drawled, when I itches, I... <laughs> I scratches. <laughs> I scratches. Very good. Nice. This next one's by an old friend of ours, Anonymous. An accident really uncanny befell a respectable granny. She sat down in a chair while her false teeth were there and bit herself right in the... Well, whoever Anonymous was, he wasn't a Brit. (laughs) Oh, he was a Brit, and this is naughtier than we thought. (laughs) She bit herself right in the fanny. In the fanny, that's right. (laughs) This one, uh, uh, I'll just say it it hits kind of close to home. It's by John Straley, and it goes like this. 
There was a young fellow from Boise who at times was exceedingly <laughs> noisy, so his friend's joy increased when he moved way back east to what people in Brooklyn call... Joy-Z. Joy-Z. Very good. <laughs> this was by Harvey L. Carter, who was a professor of history at Colorado College. There once was a co-ed named Clapper, in psychology class quite a napper, but her Freudian dreams were so classic, it seems, that now she's a... Something flapper? No. This is a multi, multi-word, multi actually a multi-letter. Wow. I just need three letters, but they're they're Greek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, there we go. There you go. A five-eta capper? She's a five-eta capper. That's right. <laughs> Very nice. Now, this next one's dirty, but it's it's only about as dirty as an episode of Match Game from 1975. <laughs> a very smart lady named Cookie said, I like to mix gambling with Nookie. Before every race, I go home to my place and curl up with a very good... Bookie? Bookie. Uh, that is hot. Right, okay. That's really yeah, hot. Right, yeah, it's hot. And you do a great Gene Rayburn, i got to say. Thank you. He's oh, one of my favorites. Okay, here's another one. This one's sort of scientific. There was a young woman named Bright, whose speed was much faster than light. She set out one day in a relative way and returned on the... Previous night. Ah, previous night. No. You know that one. Okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's good. I thought by asking for the for two words instead of one, you might it might screw you up a little bit. But you got it. All right, we're gonna do one more. All right. The limerick packs laughs anatomical in space that is quite economical, but the good ones I've seen so seldom are clean, and the clean ones so seldom are comical. Comical, right? <laughs> very good. Well, you guys did great on that limerick quiz. Thanks very much, John. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you, John. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. If you'd like to talk limericks or grammar, slang, or punctuation, or words and how we use them, the number to call is 1-877-929-9673. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes, this is Robbie from Odessa, Texas. Well, hi, Robbie. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Um, What can we do for you? I um, have an expression that I have heard a lifelong friend of mine use ever since I've known her, and the expression is, I feel more like I do now than I did a while ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning um, usually like after a meal or something like that, um, you know, that you're you're improved, but I've <sighs> never, ever heard that anywhere else. I've never heard anyone else say this. I've never read it anywhere. I just think it's an interesting phrase. I love it. I love it. Give it to us one more time. So you've just finished a great meal, and you say... Yeah, I feel more like I do now than I did a while ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. And how long has your friend been saying this? Oh, well, I've known her for over 30 years, and she's been saying it ever since I've known her. Okay. Uh-huh. And well, there we go. I did ask her about it at one time, and she said she heard a family friend say that as a child, so she grew up hearing that, uh-huh. and it became mm-hmm. a common expression in their family. And it's almost become like that in our family because it is so descriptive of many events. Uh huh. You picked mm-hmm. it up. So when do you like to use it? Um, well, usually after you know after a great meal or uh, when you get to your destination. You know, if you've been on a trip or you know something like that. Anything that expresses an improvement over the condition that you were in. 
prior. Oh, that's like the apartments I used to drive past that had a sign that said, if you lived here, you'd be home now? Oh, yes. Kind yes, of. I've seen that, too. It kind of makes oh. you wish that you were there, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the, advertising. The Buckaroo Banzai quote, wherever you go, there you are. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. I'm familiar with that, too. <laughs> You know, Martha, I've done some digging on this in the past. The earliest use I found of this is 1952, and there's almost always a, a story or a joke attached to it. Do you know it? Mm-mm. I don't. Um, I'll tell you the version that was in the Chicago Tribune in, in 1954. Okay. Uh, and they, they say that a Washington senator told a story of the man who arrived at what he expected to be a boring dinner. He fortified himself with a couple of stiff drinks, then two more, and finally another pair. When he was called on at the dinner, the man arose gravely and announced, I feel more like I do now than I did when I came in. So it's a slightly different version, but it's more or less the same thing. Most of the times this story is told, it's connected to somebody drinking. That is interesting. I've never heard the joke. I've never heard any reference to it. And like I say, nor have I ever read anything, you know, that, that was similar but but those uh, accounts that you just told me that that is a very very similar version. Yeah, it's interesting. So we know that this story is is it what it, about sixty years old at least. So it's it's got a little bit of history. I I wouldn't be surprised if it's much older than that. If I had some joke books from the thirties and forties, I bet I'd find it in there. A, a, a little vintage. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but but none the worse for wear. Well, that is very interesting. I appreciate your your help with that, and that really puts a little bit different spin on it for me. Oh, but it's a it's a, it's a nice one to keep using that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I, like I probably it. will. It's part of my uh, part of my regular language. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> like the idea of using it without the whole drinking thing involved. I think it's just funny in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I think it is too because I, not knowing that that's how it was connected, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not familiar with that part of it, but. Uh, it is a very expressive phrase. Oh, I love it. It reminds me of, of people who stand up to give a speech and they say, before I begin speaking, I'd like to say something. <laughs> you know, what? Yes. <laughs> You're already speaking, dude. <laughs> I think I've your attention that. before you doze off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Robbie, thank you so much for calling. This is fun. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time. Our pleasure. Thank you, Robbie. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. <laughs> That's great. I had no idea about those stories. That's a winner. That's a winner. If there's a word or phrase that's puzzling you, call us 1-877-929-9673 or email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. This Hello. is Dan from San Diego. Dan, hi, welcome. Welcome, Dan. Hi. I have a question regarding, um, well, it's, with a group of friends, but we were trying to find out the male term for a mistress. Hmm. As in an S&M kind of mistress or as in a, a little bit on the side kind of mistress? <laughs> like a little bit on the side kind of mistress. Okay. Um, someone who's in a relationship with a married woman, where you know, a mistress is a woman who's in a relationship with a married man. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out exactly what the term would be for a man involved with a married woman. Okay, now, Daniel, there has to be a story here, right? Yeah, it was with some friends that we get together occasionally, and we were catching up, you know, out drinking and having dinner, and we were catching up on our lives and things like that, and what had happened over the last year, and you know, we started talking about our relationship, and this friend of mine began to... Uh, talk about his new relationship and I guess he's not in a position for a relationship and 
or you know wasn't really looking for anything really heavy and found this other person and she's married and you know I guess you know as far as discretion goes I won't go any farther in that but um so he said, well, I guess I'm her mistress. And we were like, well, no, that would be a woman. <laughs> you know, so what's a guy? You know, what's the term for a man? Mister? And so we kept trying to figure it out. And so it led to a lot of discussion. And I sent everyone home to find out what, you know, to come back later with a term. And that didn't work. So we decided to call you guys. Mm. Oh, boy. So what do you call a man who is having an affair with a married woman? Yes. And uh, he's not the one really in charge of the arrangement. Right. We're looking at it from her perspective. What would she call him, right? Yes. Oh, if she were okay. to introduce him, you know, or whatever, um, you know, what would what would the term be? Hmm. Yeah, it used to be master and mistress were kind of the, the opposite number of each other when it come to men, came to men and women. But then mistress developed this other meaning and master didn't. Uh, yeah. So master doesn't work either. Um, it's he's not really a rent boy because that just kind of makes out like he's just a one step below a prostitute, right? <laughs> right, and so, this isn't for money specifically. Right, we thought about rent boy. It's just uh, for a little low and things like that. But there was always that money thing. This is more just consensual, just you know, sack, sex, sex, I suppose. Right, fun in the sack and not really looking for a relationship <laughs> or money, right? Right, not a kept exactly. man, or not looking for true or true love. Right. So not a kept man, right? And, right. And he's not a philanderer, really. She is, though, right? Right, because, you know, she's the one that's married. So, right. Well, it's because the, the women, except for the, the libertines, really haven't had this position that the modern woman has. This is relatively recent, right? Yeah. The development where women had this enough social capital to do this. It's, the, right. I'm not surprised that the language has, hasn't, hasn't kept up because the, it's, 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 it's kind of new. Probably the term that you're looking for, though, is consort, even though it sounds incredibly old-fashioned. Consort? Uh. Really? Yeah. Even if he's not in it for the money and he's not in it for, like, whatever other favors beyond the, the sexual relationship, uh-huh. he he is kind of a consort, right? Okay. He's, he's the adjunct to her life. She's not the adjunct to his. Exactly. You know, I always try to make the case for the word lemon, L-E-M-A-N, which uh, comes from words that mean dear person. It's a person beloved of one, by one of the opposite sex, but it, everybody says it sounds too much like the fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess... I was like, I don't quite understand how that would work. But... Yeah, I guess your friend wouldn't want to say, here's my lemon. Well... And cuck holder sounds too much like cup holder, so... Yeah, and... I think that would be a little old. You'd have to really understand where that came from, yeah. too. Again, it's almost like Middle English. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you, you really want a real modern, usable term well, for this. Well, here's something. This is not quite right because it, it puts the sexual politics, the power of the sexual relationship in his hands rather than in hers. But uh. in, and in black English and in old blues songs and um, some old jazz tunes, uh, there's a term called the backdoor man. And this is... <laughs> This is uh, this is the fellow who leaves your house by the back door as you come in the front. He's been sleeping uh. with your wife. And so he is that, so to speak. He is the backdoor man. But again, it kind of puts him in the position of the uh, being the sexual aggressor or the one who's the initiator of the relationship. And it sounds like you're saying that she is. She's the one who kind of like, because I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, she's the one that, that basically, I guess, dictates 
you know, when, you know, as, as again, dictates, dictates that part of the relationship. But I can give them both, and they can, we can decide which one works. Well, let us know if you come up with something better, all right? Okay. Good Super luck. Duper. Thank you so much, Daniel. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye. If you've got a question about what to call somebody, you dirty so-and-so, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send it in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. My name is Laura, and I'm calling from San Diego. Hello, Laura. Welcome. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the program. Hi, Grant. Thank you. I have a question about the appropriate ending for a certain plural word. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking a class right now, and one of the speakers who deals with the subject of mental illness kept saying analysis as the plural of analysis and, and like psychosis and... I always learned that words that ended in that IS form, you drop the IS and you add an ES for the plural, Mm -hmm. but because it's been a long time since I've been in school, I thought perhaps the rules maybe were adjusting with the language and thought maybe you could help me with that. So, Laura, you're saying that this person said that the plural of analysis is... Analysis. Analysis? Analysis? Yes. Oh, oh, please. Like diagnosis <laughs> and yes. No. They weren't oh, being, they were, they were serious, right? It wasn't a joke. Uh, yeah, he was just, he was actually teaching a course. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, otherwise, you know, he was, he was very well informed with the course. It's mm-hmm. just that these certain words really grated on my nerves. And I thought, well, maybe it's, Maybe it's changing because the language always does change and evolve. And, mm-hmm. It's true. Or devolve. And <laughs> well, just to clarify, the reason that we're giggling is that he's wrong, and it's kind of embarrassing to see somebody be so consistently wrong straight through, isn't it? A little bit, but it's another situation where I believe also English is a second language. Ah, um, that can make a difference. Although his English is perfect otherwise. Right. Ah, Oh, yeah. yeah, God forbid anyone should ever judge me speaking Spanish, my Spanish and oh. my French. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, lots of slack always needs to be cut for, for second learners of English because it's a, it's a tough road to hoe. Yeah, but and you did understand what he meant. You understood oh, what he definitely. meant. definitely. But yeah. he is also wrong. And maybe the best, fa- the best service that you could do him is to um, take him out for coffee or something and, and make sure find a way to bring it up or I don't think the anonymous note is the way to go here because people usually get really red faced and embarrassed by that and then they think that they look around the room and wonder who's judging them it's oh. got to be a face to face thing um, mm-hmm. just you might just do him a favor and say hey I just wanted to share this with you um, there's a great show on the radio <laughs> called the yeah words. here's this segment you really should listen to because you would be doing him a big favor and I'm betting if, if he's any kind of gentleman and professional that he'd be thankful okay yes i will probably be seeing him again through these classes so um i will definitely subtly let him know that there is this uh a more preferred way of ending these words so yeah. that's a tough one that's a tough order isn't it he's mm-hmm. your he's your professor he's your teacher yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you have any kind of, if there's any way you can like bring the level of the seriousness of the conversation down a couple notches, that's why I suggested coffee before you bring it up. Because if it's one of those things where you're encountering him after class, you know, as he's getting his papers in order about to leave the room, that's just really not going to work. Have but, your other maybe, stu- maybe I'll actually bring him coffee. Oh, ah. there we go. Yeah, yeah something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, or the polished apple always works. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> well, good luck with that, Laura. 
Thank you very much. Okay. Take care, Laura. Thanks All for right. calling. Bye-bye. 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 So to reiterate, it's analysis is pluralized as analyses. Psychosis mm-hmm. becomes psychoses. Mm-hmm. Diagnosis becomes diagnoses. And parenthesis becomes parentheses. Mm-hmm. But process does not come, become processes. <laughs> it doesn't? Proce- no. Oh, processes. Processes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think what's going on here is that a lot of these words are, are, are coming into English via Latin and originally from Greek. Right. From and occasionally we'll retain some of the features of the original language, but, but not often. Exactly. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Away with Words is sponsored in part by iUniverse, supported self-publishing. Is there a book in you? Find out how to publish it at 1-800-AUTHORS or learn more online at iUniverse.com. You're listening to Away with Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. How better to celebrate love and kissing than with one of my favorite passages, Grant? This is from the Roman poet Catullus. Who, ah, yes, please. And I'm not going to read the naughty parts of which there are many, but uh, there's this lovely passage that when I think about love and kissing, I, it's, it's sort of inescapable. It goes, Give me a thousand kisses, then another hundred, then another thousand, then a second hundred, then yet another thousand more, then another hundred. Then, when we have made many thousands, we will mix them all up so that we don't know, and so that no one can be jealous of us when he finds out how many kisses we have shared. Hot stuff, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah hot I mean, stuff. Not did you in, translate that from Latin yourself? I wish I did. No, I. you know, and there are lots of different translations of this. I found this one online by Rudy Negenborn, mm. and I really like it uh, compared to some of the other ones. It's also really sexy in Spanish, but I'll spare you my Fantastic my stuff. I've got one of my own. This is a, a little different. It's a fellow by the name of Charles Decay who was— that's, <laughs> Lowercase D-E space capital K-A-Y. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was wondering. He was a literary and art critic for the New York Times in the 1870s, and he wrote a collection of poems pretending to be a poet by the name of Louis Barnaval, B-A-R-N-A-V-A-L. And in, in these, through a series of verses, he talks about uh, somebody, his loved one, being kind of a guiding light to him or like a, a shining influence. And I've chosen one particular part that, that struck me, and it goes like this. Lamp of my path and beacon to my footsteps faint. Guide in the dark, refreshments to endeavor. This love for you strange byways hath untrod by saint. Yet most delicious and of heavenly savor, the graver's subtle tool must fail to cut and penman fairly write the hidden ways whereby I used your light. And so hmm. in, that, in that passage, he's, he's, he's kind of talking about even in the subtlest ways, I mean, you could obviously compare somebody to the sun, but even in the subtlest ways, this person, through their love, has influenced him and made him basically a better person. Yeah, lit his path. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Well, we'd love to hear from you about your favorite verse. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. This Good morning. Is Who's this? Leslie, and I'm calling you from Rancho Bernardo, and I have a question to ask you. It's been bothering me for years, and you're finally going to be the one to solve this for me. Dun, dun, dun. My, question is, my question is, could you please tell me the difference between a second cousin 
and a cousin once removed. Well, if you want to, you can marry either one. No. (laughs) I'm glad to know that. Oh, really? (laughs) At at, at age 78, I'm real concerned about that. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we can help. You helped me already. (laughs) About 11 years ago, we made our first trip to Switzerland, and I met my wonderful cousin, who is an attorney in Bern, and uh, Pierre's grandfather and my grandmother uh-huh. were brother and sister in Switzerland. We're brother and sister. Brother okay. and sister. So okay. we assumed um, his grandfather's children and my grandmother's children would be first cousins, mm-hmm. making right. us the second generation of and therefore we would be second cousins, but he thought, no, Ellie, I don't think so. I think we're cousins once removed. And therein the question has been plaguing me, because Mm. I thought thought second cousins would be of the same generation. You're you're right that the once removed has to do with different generations. Ah. I can tell you that one. Right. But and you are right as well that you are second cousins with this fellow Pierre. Because you, that's right. go ahead. Because you are um you're both the child of the other's parents' first cousin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's it. Oh, I need a PowerPoint. <laughs> it helps if you make the tree. Make just make the family tree, uh-huh. put the people at the top of it, draw the lines, show the parents, show the children, show the grandchildren, and then suddenly and then start numbering. Go zero for the top generation, one for the second generation of the next generation, two for the next generation, and then you have your numbers right next to the first cousins and the second cousins. And then yeah. the ones removed is when you move one further step down the chain from where you are. And that's, that's where true. You get, you're on different levels. That you come, yeah, right, so that you need a different uh, level. So that the, the genealogy chart would make an arrow downward uh, to this another generation. That's what I've been thinking. But oh, you make me so happy! Yeah, it's, he has you, a way of doing you, that. You're you're right on you're right, <laughs> right on top of it there. Finally, get this clarified. All right, I thank you so very very much. Okay. Well, it's our pleasure. Thank you for calling us today. All right, I'm going to put in a long distance call to Pierre an hour. No, it costs too much. I'm going to email him. <laughs> Tell him I was right. How about that? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, share it with the world. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care, take care. Ellie. Bye-bye. 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 Yeah, Grant, the way that I've understood it is to think about the grandparents. Mm-hmm. So your first cousins are the people who share your grandparents. Your second cousins are the people who have the same great-grandparents right, as you, who but share not the same grandparents. Right. And all the way down the line, the third and the fourth, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, that's an easier way to... And the once removed throws people because they forget that they need to leap one one generation further down the chain, and that's when you get the remove, right? Right. That you're that that you and that other person are in different generations. That's right. right. Although yeah. what's also confusing about it is that your first cousin once removed um, is either a child of one's first cousin or it's yep. one's parent's first cousin. Right. So there's a right. reciprocation there that also confuses people. Right. I see on genealogy.com there's a really good chart for this. We should mm-hmm. link to this on Oh, beautiful. On we'll do that. But, you know, this is all easily solved. It's been solved in Southern English for generations. Yeah. You just call everybody cuz and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to go worry about the removes and stuff. Everybody's just cuz. If you're not really quite sure and they're at your family union, then they're cuz. That's a good idea. Just use the generic. Yeah.
1-877-929-9673 and send your problems and theories to words at waywardradio.org. Martha. Yes, sir. What did the girl volcano say to the boy volcano? I love you. Yes. Ah. <laughs> you have to say it in an Italian accent. Do you love me like I love you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Your questions about slang, language, grammar, usage, pronunciation, and so forth to words at waywardradio.org or 1-877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hello. How are you? This is... I'm from Ocracoke, North Carolina. Well, hello, Tom. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Oh, boy. Are you a native to Ocracoke? No. um, uh, I moved here about five years ago. I'm not even really a native from where I moved from, which was Connecticut, but that's where I'd lived for quite a while before I moved to Ocracoke. Oh, Tom. I love Ocracoke. I went um, on vacation there one year. Got really sunburned, but um, that's... (laughs) You can do that there. Ocracoke is a beautiful place. It's a part of the Cape Hatteras National Seashore. Right. Mm -hmm. But for me, Ocracoke has an interest because it's one of the most studied language communities in North America. And I know some of the people who've done some of the research, Walt Wolfram and his gang at North Carolina State. He's been on the island doing research for quite a long time. That's not what I'm calling about, but it happens coincidentally that Ocracoke is a, a, a place of interest to people who study words. And we could do a whole program um, you about that. You can't Oklahoma. live there and not become not become aware of the work that's gone on, um, and just aware of that of that accent and that culture. It's a really strong storytelling culture, so there's a lot of talking that goes on, and mm-hmm. you hear it all the time. Mm. But I do have a question. Uh, okay, uh, shoot, uh, yeah, un- unrelated to Ocracoke, uh, and that is what uh, what do you know about the origin of the expression? Knock on wood. My wife and I were driving to Richmond from Ocracoke, and we drove by a spot on the highway where the last time we went to Richmond, our car broke down. And my wife said, um, that's where we broke down. And I said, knock on wood, you know, we're, we're, we're past that. And and I think that that's how it's used, is oh boy. To, to sort of try to push away some, you know, potential bad luck. Yeah, and you probably didn't even have any wood to knock on unless you had one of those station wagons with the, you know, the wood no, on the I, side. I knocked on vinyl, I think. <laughs> on vinyl. Oh, boy. Well, this one is an etymological puzzle, I'm sorry to say. I'm not sure we have a good answer about why knock on wood. There have been all kinds of theories about maybe it goes back to pre-Christian times and druids knocking on um, on trees to uh, alert the, the, the um, gods within, um, or um, back to Ireland when people would knock on the trees to let the little people know that they needed some help with something. Um, huh. The truth is that we don't know. And what's really odd to me, Grant, about this is that mm-hmm. this expression seems... Um, every time you hear about it, it, it the ex, the explanations go way, way back. But we don't see this expression until what the late nineteenth century. Yeah, in English, it's it's odd. You would think it would be back in the fifteen hundreds or something. Well, there are, there are a few variants as well. There's also uh, in the in Britain, they're more likely to say touch wood. Yeah, and, and, in yeah. parts of the American uh-huh. South, they might say peck on wood instead peck of peck on wood. I mm-hmm, heard that instead one. of knock on wood. Hmm. 
I use it myself, even though I'm also not superstitious. So, Tom, it sounded <laughs> like you, you, you said it when you were driving and toward Richmond, but you didn't actually knock on wood, right? You don't, you only, you only said the words. I, yeah, I, I think that saying the words is, is good enough, but, it, but I did, it, I did accompany it with the actual motion, even mm-hmm. though I didn't have wood to knock on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Knock on um, vinyl. And, and I also noticed that sometimes, uh, in casual conversation, people will use it and not even say the words knock on wood, but just continue with the conversation, but reach over and knock on some wood. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, right. You could, I think any, any amount of that, I mean, you know, whatever it takes to, to, <laughs> to, to bring a little bit of good luck. Yeah, it usually works, right? It, so far, it's worked, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the important thing. Yeah. You guys didn't break down, and yeah, <laughs> the, it's, a, it's a real mystery. We get that question from Is time it? to time, and, uh-huh. and yeah. we uh-huh. just don't have a good so answer. So it's used in, in other parts of the world? Yes. yes yeah, yes. you see it in Spanish. It's a touch wood or strike wood, the translation. Mm-hmm. So it's a mystery. Well, that's an answer of a sort. Well, thank you. Um I didn't. I, I didn't call up hoping that I would stump the chumps, but um, <laughs> thank you for trying to answer my question. I appreciate it. Okay. Right, take care. All right. Bye. 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 We'll link to some information about the, the dialect of Okokoke, North Carolina. It's really interesting stuff. Oh yeah, I know I'm there's all video tingly. and audio out there. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Good summaries too, if you don't want to get too far into it. Yeah, it was great to talk to somebody who was transplanted there and and is observing it all around him. The hairs on my neck are standing up. Well, if you want to try to stump the chumps, you probably will. Call us one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. You know, Grant, earlier in the show we were talking with Robbie about the expression, I feel more like I do now than I did before. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple more of those Ooh, that I really like, that kind of self-referential humor. How about, here, take this placebo. <laughs> I like that. And how about this one? The two rules for success are, one, never tell them everything you know. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Well, share your silly humor with us, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Chuck Johnson. Hello, Hi, Chuck. Chuck. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. And where are you calling from? Helena, Montana. Great. Well, what's up? Well, I, I uh, was going to ask about the word I've, I've heard around here uh, called scissor bill. Mm-hmm. Scissor bill. That sounds like a, a plan to uh, to bring down your credit card amount. <laughs> It'll work that way, won't it? <laughs> Cut your bills in half. <laughs> no, uh, but I guess that's not not it, huh? What what is a scissor bill? The way I've heard it used is that it's uh, someone who's uh, sort of bluffing on the job uh, or lollygagging, as another word we use up here too. But maybe uh, once the boss has got his back turned, loafs a little bit on the job. Have you ever heard of scissor bill in reference to hogs? No, I haven't. What's that? Well, the the story goes that the wild hogs are so so mean and so vicious that they had a razor back and a scissor bill and they'd chew on you just out of meanness. Ow. Oh my gosh. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> and so razorback and scissor bill are both old terms for wild wild hogs, you know. I have a new nickname for Grant. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But there, there you probably heard of the bird as well. There's a kind of uh, I believe it's a seashore turn of some sort also known as a shearwater um called a scissor bill. Hmm. You ever heard of those? Maybe they don't come oh. out that far. 
I have I have heard of them, and they they just skim the uh, top of the water when they fly That's in. That's right. what I've heard anyway. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the the history of scissor bill as, as you've used it. It's 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 interesting. There's a long one there. It goes back more than a hundred years, and there's a great book called Calf's Head and Union Tail. Labor Yarns at Work and Play. And this is by Archie Green. And what he talks about in this book is just the history of some of the some of the, the legends and stories that have to do with the labor movement and uh, labor unions and organizing, that kind of stuff. And Scissorbill figures very largely in here. It started out in American English as a, a reference to people who were either like the bird of Scissorbill uh, or who were like the hog as Isabel, and I believe it's mostly the hog. Um, it's that whole idea that this is um, a hog had a mouth that was very sharp. Have you ever seen the the, the teeth on a on a hog? Uh, sometimes they'll they're they're very yellow and sharp and vicious. I hope never stuff, to so. see one. And uh, <laughs> supposedly they look a little bit like the bill of a Isabel mm. the bird, uh, which has oh, a really? which is interesting because it has the lower part of the beak is much longer than the upper part, and I think this allows them to get into to to mussels and uh, and. and other kinds of shellfish like that. In any case, so people called these old farmers who were like rough and tough like a wild hog, a scissorbill, just like the hog. So it's a pretty matter-of-fact way. We often call people by the names of animals to to indicate this person um, is somehow like the animal. But somewhere along the way, it came to be used by the labor unions to refer to people who were pro-boss and anti-labor or maybe were just the kind of heads-down workers who didn't want to get involved in no movement. They just wanted to do their work and go home and get the paycheck and not really try to fight for the rights of anybody else, kind of selfish. And um, somewhere along the way, it also became generalized to mean any kind of know-nothing or or no-account person. As you kind of described it, could be somebody who's lazy or somebody who... Um, doesn't really work beyond just enough to pay the you know pay for 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 bed and board. Now this is a really short condensed story of what Archie Green has to say at length in his book. There's a ton of data out there, um, a variety of different ways that this term has been used, but generally it's about somebody who is uh, bad at what they do or doesn't do anything. So. Oh. That's very interesting. Yeah, fascinating. I'd never yeah. heard it. I have to tell you, Chuck, I'd never heard it. So well, that's this is great. Very cool. I'm sure I sure appreciate learning more about it. Yeah, Super. well, thank Chuck, you for we'll, calling. Chuck, we'll, we'll link to Archie Green's book on our website. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. It's okay. been fun you. talking to you both. Right. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Support for Away With Words comes from National University. Change your future today. Find out how at nu.edu. And by MoseyPro Online Backup for Businesses. Visit mozy.com slash words. Things have come to a pretty pass. Our romance is growing flat. For you. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. That number, 1-877-929-9673. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. And you can stay in touch with us all week by following us on Twitter. You'll find us right there under the username Wayward. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from San Francisco, I'm Grant Barrett. Thanks to Howard Gelman for engineering our show from the studios of KQED Radio. Peace out. Bye-bye.
like potato, and I like potato, you like tomato.